Muscat, Velvet Muscat, This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. So, so how does the alphabet work again, Megan? I forgot. <laughs> well, see, I was looking for Kudurk, whatever the fuck that is, and I was going through... And I got to the sections where it was C-O-R, that's why I started talking about Corvinone. And then it said C-O-T, and my brain was like, ah, well, for some reason I forgot that U comes after T in the alphabet. And so I was like, oh, it's not here. Well, that's bullshit because you can't mention it in the book but not actually have its own section. And then I flipped the next page and there it was. I forgot how the alphabet works. Welcome to the Make America <laughs> Grape Again podcast, or Let's Have Megan Learn the Alphabet podcast. Whatever I've been drinking all day at Gay Pride. It's yes. not my fault. What we've got here today is a focus on Maryland, thanks to the latest wine studio operation, hashtag wine studio. They're doing uh, Old Westminster Winery. Uh, in Maryland, so we're doing Maryland. And the thing is, I wanted to do wines from this winery for this podcast for a while, and I have actually a couple bottles in cans, because they do some great wines in cans. I want to talk about the canned wine phenomenon with them, but that'll be a later episode. But uh, what I've got instead is the 2017 Vindu Natural, 2017, from Old Westminster. It is 100% Velvin Muscat. Fortified with the state spirits, and we'll talk about this. But this is the first uh, official dessert wine episode. Oh. That is airing, anyway. We did record the ice wine episode, but uh, that's for season two. I like the nose on this. It has, Ooh. it's sweet, but it has like an earthy and like nutty character. And I'm actually really impressed I just came up with that considering I can barely breathe through allergies. Well, it reminds me a lot of Arizona Malvasia. <gasps> How dare you. Except with a, a different floral set. I don't get floral in this at all. Getting that... Well, I guess I maybe, like, after, like, power of suggestion, but, like, I get a lot more, like, there's, like, a sweet, like, candied pecans or something, but then, like, an earthy note. Yeah, I'm getting earth... a little, like, white flower. Uh, the white flowers, like acacia, gardenia, okay. muscat as a classic aroma. Uh, according to Lanaire's Duvin, they actually have a muscat as a aroma. Yes. As of recording this podcast, I don't think this wine is available on their store online. Okay. So we are getting a preview of this. Fancy. Before it's released to the public. Um, I guess it's going to be released in conjunction with a big natural wine festival that's going on uh, in a week and a half at their new vineyard site that oh, they bought. Cool. Uh, so this is, I think, from their home vineyard site, which is the dangers of recording this before we talk about it on Wine Studio, because some of this information may be wrong. I may record an addendum with anything we get wrong at the end of this podcast as a uh, postscript. Hmm. Pineapple. It's so funny. Like, I feel like I could smell more than I can taste, which I guess makes sense. I think my 
Oh, it's just fucked right now, which is infuriating. But I guess I could kind of get, I almost get like a white chocolate. I can see like the texture of white chocolate, especially. Yeah. Like at first, like, like right after you finish it. Yeah. And some of that taste too. I'm also getting like pineapple, melon, a little bit of citrus. The alcohol content of this. It's pretty decent. I was gonna say I get a sixteen five. I was gonna say I get a little bit of a burn on it too. Like not unpleasantly, but it's there. Yeah. I think I wouldn't notice it maybe as much, but I'm. So, by the way, this is the first Bisbee recording for this podcast. Because I came to visit. Megan came to visit. James is not with us tonight. Oh, yeah, we need to introduce ourselves. I thought you weren't. Oh, is this still for season one? This is still recording for season one. (laughs) Uh, I'm Cody, uh, Cody Burkett, CSW, Arizona Wine Monk, and I'm here with... Megan, also CSW, and Benny Beauty Drinky. And full of allergies and ready to go to bed. And uh, also a judgmental graphic designer. Oh, yeah. And ju- what? I feel like that... Was that the word? I feel like we came up with... I gotta listen. Was it judgmental graphic designer? Was it, I feel like there was a smaller word. It wasn't quite judgmental. Unless I don't... But I don't know. Maybe it was. I don't remember offhand. Yeah, I don't remember. Speaking of... Something graphic designer. Okay. Speaking of judgmental graphic design. <laughs> yeah. Tell okay. me what you think of this label. That's right. Okay, well, I mean, it's underwhelming. I, I'm, I, it's just, yeah, it's just boring. Like, I like the font. However, there's nothing else to, to bring anything out of it. It's just a, I mean, I like, okay, so I like the paper that they used. I like the texture to it because it's thicker and it's got kind of the lines, like it's like parchment paper kind of thing. So I get what they were going for because it has the, the, the font that they used is that kind of written with a quill pen type thing. But it's just boring. Like, there's no logo. There's no anything else. Like, honestly, I actually like the back of the label better. Because there's just a little bit more dynamic to it, I guess. They did use two different fonts. They broke things up a little more. What does that even... Alvin Musket fortified with estate spirits aged for 18 months. Although the font's a little hard to read, honestly. Like, I feel like that's the font is what you use for, like, the name of whatever, but then you use a slightly more toned down version for things that need to be read, like for the back of the label. Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I appreciate they kept with the same idea, but at the same time, it's just not the easiest font to read. Yeah, it's a little hard to read, but, uh... But, yeah, the front of it is just, it's, it almost looks more like, I don't know how to word it. Like, I don't know what the the name of it would be, but, like, when somebody doesn't have an actual label yet, they just, like, wrote it on paper and slapped it on there. Like, that's what that kind of makes me think of. Like, they're like, ah, fuck, we don't have a label yet. Let's just, you know, give it a name. So, I don't know. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't approve. I like that font, but other than that, I don't approve. We should really go back and, and figure out what exactly we called me. For graphic designer, because I feel like it was it judgmental. I feel like that just seems like such a long word. I feel like it was, mm. and I wasn't persnickety. No, I feel like I'd remember that. I almost feel like there's a different word though. It's just not coming to me, but maybe it was. I don't know. What are you looking at? Their Twitter feed, because I'm trying to find the name of their winemaker. 
Uh-huh. I cannot remember her name. She's one of the, the three siblings that are, is responsible for Old Westminster. Oh. So it's a woman winemaker, which is really cool. That is fun. And she was essentially self-taught. Nice. Um, which is really cool. That is really cool. I appreciate that. Oh, um, and then the, the vigneron, as opposed to the winemaker, which I guess is a different word, a different thing, uh, is Drew Baker. Uh, hi, Drew. Sorry we're getting everything wrong. <laughs> Probably. I mean, whatever. It's delicious. So the new vineyard site that they're doing is uh, called Burnt Hill, and it was a, a potash and ash-burning site. And so there's a lot of ash in the soil, so, and then there's also uh, a lot of slate and rock that starts with a P. That's basically schist up to 11. Phyllite. So there's slate and phyllite uh, on their vineyard site. So I am getting a little bit of minerality on this. The nose is really, really almost intoxicating and, and wonderful. Yeah. And it actually does remind me of uh, a little bit of Vin de Constantia, which I, I think was the main homage for this wine, which is, comes in basically the same bottle shape. It's a very old bottle shape. It's very, you'll see yeah. in the, the pictures for this podcast. It is a really cool bottle. It does... It, it, it does... It's short and squat. It kind of makes you think of, like, the kind of bottle you'd find that like floated up in the ocean with a yeah, note in it's it like, there's no drink more wine that'd be fantastic i'd love it if the ocean told me to drink more wine well maybe it is and you're just not visiting there enough to to hear it it's true yeah, we don't have oceanfront property just yet until california falls off maybe which fall in soon. i am no absolutely not that means disneyland is gone and i refuse okay may california except for disneyland fall in <laughs> right soon. well uh, <laughs> I just imagine... And I guess Lodi and Paso Robles, but fuck Napa. Well, Napa's got some good stuff. It's still pretty up there. This is true. I mean, I don't know. I like California. I don't really want California to fall off of the fucking rest of the country. But I can't help but picture that, like, if that shit does go down, Disneyland probably is, like, on those inflatable fucking bags that Venice has to, like, keep it afloat. <laughs> like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, I just feel like Disneyland is prepared for this. They're just like, all right, we know San Andreas is going to give some shit, and we're ready. And they've just got those inflatable bags just prepared, and that's just going to divide them from the rest of the state, and they'll float. Disneyland will be... It'll just go fuck off with Hawaii or something. Alaska can come too. <laughs> Alaska can come too. Yeah! <laughs> Um, okay, so I found the, the tweets that I was looking for. So Drew Baker and his two sisters are all the winemakers, basically. So you got Lisa, I guess Lisa is Baker also. I don't know her last name. But yeah, you've got three family members that are in charge of all this acreage. The Burnt Hill site, uh, they recently bought it f- to preserve it from um, a housing development that wanted to go in site. And they're oh. like, no, no, no. Uh, this is a lot of history. And then I guess the deal fell through and they were able to, to acquire the property. And they're going to be planting different grapes. They're going to be focusing uh, soon on a lot of American varietals, things like Catawba, uh, Chamberson, stuff like that. They have several influences and uh, mentors. Joseph Brinkley, Lucy Morton, Bubba Beasley, and Lucien Guillemet, who I'm probably mispronouncing horribly. They also have several cover crops, wheat, daikon, radish. They've planted a small home orchard. And they're going to be introducing sheep next year for uh, stuff. For stuff? For whatever you use sheep for. Nice. Uh, in a vineyard setting. I'm guessing not just for sheep, sheep's milk, cheese, and and stuff. I would think. But uh, maybe for weed management. 
Yeah. Although, I, I mean, I know a lot of energy is goats. Would you like... Do you want some more? I do. It is delicious. So I'm using uh, my little tiny dessert wine glasses. Yes. Uh, which I have grapes on them. Uh, so a vin du natural is a type of dessert wine. Uh, vin de Constantia, like we mentioned before, is made in that method. There's also some late harvest coming from France in Bagnols and other places that are basically in the style where you're fortifying it towards the end of fermentation before the fermentation is completed to preserve that residual sugar. But you're fortifying it with a with, a, with other grape spirits, right? Yes, with so basically you're fortifying it with unoaked, unaged brandy. Yeah, yeah, I remember. In this case, uh, these were made on from the estate grapes. I don't know if they were distilled on site or not. I should ask that question on Wine Studio. So I'm going to read through the ceremonial reading of the text sheet here uh, because I have it copied and pasted. Yay. Provided, Martin. yeah, Tina Mori. The text sheets are provided on the Wine Studio website by Tina Mori, who's kind of the founder of this really cool online tasting group called Wine Studio. Basically, beverage education and brand marketing. And I've been a part of a couple of these Wine Studio things, and they're always a lot of fun. Uh, WineStudioTina.Weebly.com, uh, at WineStudioTina on uh, the Twitters, if you want to reach out to her and be like, hey, dude, I want to be on the next one, okay, thanks. Um, so anyway, uh, this month of June, Old Westminster Winery is the vineyard of focus. So what we have here today, as I mentioned before, the 2017 Vindu Natural. Uh, it's 100% Valvin Muscat, grown on the home vineyard uh, site in northern Maryland. Uh, it was fortified with estate spirits 50% of the way through the fermentation process. The alcohol percentage is 16.5. The residual sugar is 60 grams per liter. The wine was aged first in stainless steel for 10 months, then in neutral oak barrels for 8 months. It was bottled unfined and unfiltered on April 29th, 2019. So it's been in bottle for less than a year. And I feel like this would age really well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the acidity and residual sugar really well work well with this and... Yeah. I may have to get another bottle of this when I'm back east. Yes. For long-term aging purposes. Because I feel like as this wine ages, it'll become more and more like a Vinda Constantia, which will get that nutty character intensifying. I was going to say, um, I didn't get that nutty character on it, which is fun. Uh, figs, I predict. Uh, maybe some rose, rose water. More intense melon fruit. Honey. I'm getting a little bit of honey now, also on the nose. Mm, you can see that. It's really, really fun. It is. To introduce us to Valvin Muscat, Megan shall read from the book. <laughs> I'm really having a hard time with... Because it has a lot of that business of, like, clones and shit. And I don't understand that, really. But, so it's marked as being highly aromatic hybrid with marked musket flavors. Which, yeah, reminds me of a... A muscat. Yep. Uh, for those who care, uh, muscat is basically the same as Moscato, sort of, but not really. There's an insane fucking number of muscat varietals. Too many. Too many. Uh, the two most popular, or, or most abundant and most planted, I should say, uh, are uh, muscat, in France, known as muscat au petit grand, or muscat canelli, or 
has also known as something else in California. And uh, Muscat of Alexandria. But there are others. Yeah. And uh, is this related to Muscat? One of those? Um, not that I'm seeing. So... It says, it's a complex hybrid obtained in 1962 by, I don't know, Bruce Reich and Thomas Hennick Kling at New York State's Cornell University. They crossed it with Muscat du Moulin with Muscat Autonel. Oh, okay. So Muscat Autonel is one of the other... I say, that one seemed like one of the more familiar That's ones. one of the more familiar sort ones. Of. There was a little bit like 1% or so in our Ohio pet nap. Or not... One percent. That was seventy-five percent Pinot and twenty-five percent Muscat Autonel. I know that there was a decent amount of Muscat Autonel in there, though. I was say that one. So it's a variety we've met before. Yeah, um, but then it goes in and basically is saying that Muscat du Moulin um, is also known as the Kuderk, which I was laughing about earlier. <laughs> but this one is its own fucking. Hybrid, or not hybrid, uh, it's one of the clone things. So it's known as Kudrick 299 to 35, um, but it's a hybrid of Kudrick 603 and Pedro Jimenez, which is interesting. Ooh. Yeah, I know, that's what I said. Really? Pedro Jimenez, for those who uh, don't know, it's one of the classic sherry varietals. Uh, So this wine's heritage. Is basically screaming for late harvest. It's just so weird because then it's like okay, I just because then it also says that Hooter six oh three is a um, I don't know what that word is. What word? Barisca and Vitis rupestris hybrid. Must be a, a species of grape. I guess so. But then what was funny? Because then I went back and you know once I realized how the alphabet works and looked up Kudrick, it's Kudrick Noir. Which is, this is obviously not a red wine at all. But I just really liked what, what's her face that wrote this book? What's her name? Jancis Robinson. Robinson. Said about Kudrick Noir is undistinguished French hybrid with few remaining fans. <laughs> like, my God. Well, she, she's very snarky. Like She's very snarky. Uh, we were also, we were puzzling about how the alphabet worked. Uh, there's a grape in here called Complexa, which oh, yeah. is described as a workaday wine. We're like, what the fuck does workaday mean? It must be a Britishism. Well, let's look it up. It pretty much means mundane and average. So Complexa, here's a grape called Complexa that's, that's mundane and average. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Tangent aside. <laughs> Tangent! Um, Not nearly as weird as the tangents we get into when James is well, here. Well, yeah, because he is an... He just, yeah, he comes up with James. So, Velvet Musket is there for a Vitis Rupestris and Vitis Vinifera hybrid, uh, whose original seedling vine was planted in 1964 and identified as test selection... Oh, NY62 numbers. Too many fucking numbers. This is ridiculous. When it was propagated in 1969. The the timing on this one is fucking with me so bad. Okay, so it was planted in 1964, propagated in 1969, and then it says this selection was made available to growers and research collaborators for testing in 1990. Wow. Yeah, like what? So I guess they were really trying to make sure that it was viable. 
Like, damn. We're hoarding it for 20 themselves. 20-something years. And then, and then, but, then some more years, Valve and Musket was not officially released until 2006. Wow. Like, damn. This poor grape's been waiting for a while. I don't know, good things come to those who wait. This is, I think, pretty darn good. It is good. But this is, is this all this... It is 100% Valvin Muscat. Okay, cool. Why is it, what is the Valvin part mean? What's the, the name? I, uh, I... In no say? Um, not yet. Hold okay. on. Uh, I don't think so, because it says, so the next section is the viticultural characteristics. So, um, smallish compact bunches, moderately large juicy berries. Vines tend to be quite small, if not grafted. Once grafted, it is vigorous and productive. Mid-ripening, but should not be harvested before full musket aroma is evident. So we just, like, pick the berries and smell them? Or, yeah, eat them. Interesting. Well, but it's saying aroma. I mean, I... Moderately susceptible to downy and powdery mildew and black rot. Resistant to botrytis. Moderately hearty. Let's see where it's grown and what its wine tastes like. Yeah, there's really nothing that says where that name comes from in Los... No? Not not the guys that came up with it? Um... As it's opening up, it's getting super nutty. Oh, this is interesting. Mm. Um, there were just 10 acres of Valvin Musket in Indiana in 2009, and no sign yet of its arrival in the official statistics of other Midwest states. Well... I mean, I guess this is... I mean, we're not in the Midwest yeah, with the state. Yeah, we're not in the Midwest, but... I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Maryland is part of the Mid-Atlantic suite. Yeah. Wines are described as high quality with spicy floral aromas and no objectionable bitterness. Uh, the variety's intense aromas make it suitable as a blending component as well as on its own. Producer... Oh, oh, producers, I don't care. Wait, the only producer that matters in this episode... Yeah, is exactly. The These are all from... Well, actually, there's one in New York, which is pretty close, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Same mid-Atlantic suite of states. Yeah, and then the other one was in Indiana, so that's kind of interesting. Well, yeah, does not really tell why it's called Valvin. They just came up with it. Clearly. I mean, I guess I can Google, although I, Google usually comes up with less information than the Big Red Book. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Because it's the Big Red Book. Yep. It was released on July 7th, 2006. Mm-hmm. So we're coming up on its anniversary. Yeah. That's adorable. Mm. It's the word that we decided last wine studio not instead of hybrids. I need to look this up because I thought it was a really cool term and I want to make sure that I use it. Because I thought it was really fascinating because, as I've said before in multiple episodes of this podcast, hybrids kind of, not kind of, they do have a bad rap. And everyone kind of poo-poos them when some of the best wines we've had in this podcast have been from these quote-unquote hybrid varietals, which we will now call from now on, drumroll please. That's the lamest drumroll ever. Well, I'm holding a glass of wine. What do you want from me? And I put the book down. Mixed Heritage Varietals. Mixed Heritage Varietals. That's just so much more to say than hybrid. Yeah, but it also shows that 
these grapes have that mixed heritage of European DNA and American DNA and often multiple different vitis, vitis, vitis species. You know, not just Vinifera, but Labrusca, Repestris. There we go. I was going to say that one I said earlier. The, the other one. The other one. And those other four. Yep. But anyway, I, I kind of like the idea of uh, calling again? them I already forgot. mixed heritage varietals. Uh, so the Dalvin Muscat is a mixed heritage varietal. Term just sounds so politically correct. <laughs> and you're not wrong. It does sound that way. It's so politically correct. It's like we can't call them hybrids anymore. It's a dirty word. They don't like that. They pre- Excuse me. They prefer to be called mixed heritage varietals. Mixed heritage varietals. They're not hybrids. This Dalvin Muscat is a mixed heritage varietal developed at the University of Cornell in Ithaca, New York. Hmm. Quiet. He is. Hmm. Huh, many New York winemakers make Valvin Muscat in a frizzante style. Ooh. This would be fun as a frizzante grape. Yeah. Like this, but with some sparkle to it? Yeah, oh. that'd be delicious. I love it as it is, though. Oh, it's delicious as it is. We need to try it with the cupcakes. Yes. But yeah. Uh, I guess they're saying that uh, it does best on VSP cordon and umbrella cordon. As well as uh, long cane pruning. Ah, thank you. Because we need to eat cupcakes. Hey, why don't you tell us about these cupcakes? So I made cupcakes. I mean, they are, the cupcakes themselves are lemon and dense because I fucked up the recipe, but that's okay. But the frosting is a buttercream that I made with a Merlot raspberry wine from what is it trident yes trident um which is a arizona winery that may or may not still actually exist anymore i mean Um, the wines are available if you know where to look but but they're not making more are they not they not at this time yeah so they're basically they lost a fight with the mormon mafia that controls gila county so yeah, but they would make really interesting things. Like, they made wine out of, you know, they made, like, a prickly pear wine, and they made wine from Ocotillo cacti, which was weird, and I did not care for it at all, but I tried it at least. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I met someone recently that had one last bottle of it, and we opened it, and it was delicious, and I mentioned how much I wanted to bake with it, and so she gave it to me, and so I did. And it is quite delicious as a frosting with a lemon cupcake. Mm-hmm. It's bringing out a lot of flinty character in the wine. Really? A sort of earthy flint minerality. Hmm. To me. I haven't gotten there quite yet. I could kind of see that, though. What about yourself? And what? I feel like it makes it a little more tart. I feel like the lemon in the cupcake is bringing... Is, yeah, it's definitely of... showcasing that acidity in this wine. Uh-huh. Yeah, it takes a little bit of the sweetness away in it. But it's not... I don't think it's a bad pairing. No, it's not ways. a bad pairing. It's a fun pairing. It is fun. Like, I feel like they, they work with each other. Like, neither one cancels it out. Like, I still get the flavors of the wine. I still get the flavors of the cupcake. I mean, you know, I don't think I taste the frosting as much, though. Like, I don't... I think I'm tasting much more of the lemon mm-hmm. in the cupcake itself. I'm not tasting the, like, the raspberry that I would get from the, the frosting like I was getting before. So, the history of viticulture in Maryland begins in 1648. Uh, Fourteen years later, the first European grapes were planted in Maryland... 200 acres on the east bank of St. Mary's River. But it really wasn't until uh, 1930s that Philip Wagner, who was a columnist with the Baltimore Sun, 
uh, published a book called American Wines and How to Make Them. The book was later revised as Grapes into Wine and became the definitive book on winemaking in America. So uh, Philip Wagner and Hamilton Mowbray were two really big pioneer winemakers for Eastern America as a whole, especially Wagner, because he literally wrote the fucking book. So anyway, the oldest winery that still exists in the state, which will be featured on a later podcast, in fact, is Bordy Vineyard. And Bordy Vineyard is also growing grapes on the Antietam Battlefield site oh, in the Civil I War. I remember you talking about that. That's fucking cool. So the original thought for a Maryland first episode was going to be wine from Bordry Vineyard that was planted on that site called Lost Order 35, 37? The number doesn't matter at this point uh, for those of you who know your Civil War history. The Battle of Antietam, or those of you who don't know the Battle War, uh, the Battle War. <laughs> battle Wars! <laughs> yeah, it's like Battletoads. Do you have Battletoads? Anyway. The Battle of Antietam occurred because basically General Lee sent out his orders in secret wrapped in cigar wrapper. And one Confederate general basically like saw those, wrapped them up, and then left the box of cigars in the field where it was found by Union scouts. And they realized, oh, the army's going to come through here. We can stop them. And the Battle of Antietam occurred, which was probably the bloodiest battlefield in mainland U.S. history uh, between two American armies in terms of total bloodshed. There is a lot of poetic discussion in poetry about battlefield wines and vineyards uh, planted in, like, the Crimea. Like, uh, the site where the charge of the Light Brigade is apparently a vineyard now in the Ukraine uh, in the Crimea, or wherever the fuck Crimea belongs to today. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, TLDR, I thought it was going to be really cool and since it mostly is Petit Verdot, I thought it would be an amazing cigar pairing wine. And I wanted to get some cigar reps that I know in Phoenix to join me with this wine. And also, they are much cuter than I am. And so, yay hits on Instagram. Um, so it's like, oh, look, I can get new followers because I have pretty girls on this episode. Well, which is, is stupid, but... What about me? Hello? You would even say that they're drop-dead gorgeous. Even though you are a very, very pretty woman. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you need more. I've been drinking too much, I'm sorry. I need more, too. It's delicious. I it is that. delicious. I was honestly worried that I might not like this, because I'm very, very, very finicky about my dessert wines. Oh, God, I love them. Um, I love them, too, but I'm just, like, very finicky about them. Because it's really easy, in my experience, to make a shitty dessert wine, and it's hard to make a really good one. That impresses me, but maybe I'm just an asshole. No, or some of us are just tragically easily pleased. That's not a bad thing. I like Sometimes I wish I was more easily pleased. The definitive decade for, for the industry in Maryland was the 1980s. In 1981, the Maryland Grape Growers Association was formed. And then, by the Maryland Wineries Association in 1984, the Maryland Wine Festival was held for the first time. In 2000, the Maryland State Legislature passed Maryland House Bill 414, which allowed state wineries to sell wine by the glass at the winery and to bring product onto retail licensed premises for promotional activities. Hmm. I guess in that year, or a fairly recent year, they sold a record 86,954 U.S. gallons of wine. Maryland, as we said before, is in the mid-Atlantic region. Um, There's a lot of climate 
Forests in the state, and actually, um, four sort of distinct growing regions and three AVAs the Piedmont Plateau region. The state's oldest wineries are there. Uh, you've got the Eastern Shore, the Southern Plain, and then the Western Mountain region. Anyway, before we close off, uh, let me get through those AVAs in Maryland. We have the Cadocton AVA, which is located in Frederick and Washington counties of Western Maryland. Cadocton Mountain to the east, Pennsylvania border to the north, South Mountain to the west, and the Potomac River to the south. It is an Algonquin word, courtesy of Ojibwa, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce oh, the origin word. Gidagasin? Gidagasin? Maybe? I don't know. Meaning speckled rock, which is named for the geological feature of the area. Two commercial wineries operate in this AVA. Uh, we meet, again, the Cumberland Valley AVA, which we mentioned briefly in the Pennsylvania episode. Uh, and then you have the Linganore AVA, uh, located in north-central Maryland, which includes parts of Frederick and Carroll counties. Uh, part of the Piedmont Plateau northwest of Baltimore, a transition area between the mountains to the west and the coastal plain to the east. Warm and wet climate there with gravel and loam soils. But anyway, also, uh, as a last note, it's estimated that the industry in Maryland contributes $50 million annually to the Maryland economy. Um, so yeah, wine is good for the economy. But anyway, on that note, enough chit chat. Let's have more delicious cupcakes with this delicious wine. Fabulous, done. Make America Grape again. Yes. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at Make America Grape Podcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at the AZ Wine Monk, or on Twitter at CV Burkett. Be sure to also check out our website, Make America Grape Again Podcast.com. Megan, I'm a CSW, not a grammar, grammar, grammarian. Obviously. <laughs>